Hi, everybody. This is Charlie Guarino. Welcome to another edition of Tech Talk SMB. I am so happy today to sit down and have a nice chat with the former IBM I security architect of IBM I and the current co-founder of DXR Security, a company that helps organizations change their IBM I security one step at a time. If you don't know who that is by now, it is none other than Carol Woodbury. Carol, what a treat to have you in our discussion today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Great pleasure. Always a pleasure to speak with you, Carol. Um, I, I know, Carol, that we, we spoke a little bit before we started this podcast, but one thing that really struck me even just today, this morning, was I received yet another email just this morning from... I think it was the king of some country telling me that I was the, uh, the, the billion dollar recipient of, of an entire empire. And that one I had, fortunately, I had the smarts to not continue clicking on that one. But I'll tell you, there, there are some that I've been getting more recently that from very, you know, from seemingly very reputable companies, recognizable names that if you know if you didn't look twice or didn't look hard enough, I was convinced that I won gift cards or whatever the case is. Now I think I'm smart enough to, to not do that, but there are so many people who inadvertently or whatever get fooled and click on these things. What do you what, what is there a, a bigger rash of these going around right now? Um uh, bigger, I don't know if it's a bigger rash or we're just um so hyper focused on it these days because it typically leads to, if you actually click on it, one of two things happen. Either you have given over your personal information, like your social security number, or for the people up north, social insurance number, um, or they have somehow gained access to your system, like through credentials, like your user ID and password, or worse, I guess this is three things it downloads a payload and inserts malware onto your system. So I think a lot of it, there's been phishing to try to get your personal information, but the whole experience of getting malware on your system is just exploding right now. And there's such a, a, a very low cost of entry for them to do this. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, first of all, I, I don't know how they get my name to begin with, but even beyond that, the cost of entry for them to do this seems very small. So they can send out very, very large swaths of these emails. Probably, I, mean, I don't even know, thousands, millions. I, I don't even know what the number might, might be. Yeah, they can do a very broad brush and they've gotten your email from a variety of places. Either they know the naming convention of an organization. So if this came through your work email, they may have discovered or guessed because everybody usually does a pretty easy naming convention for their users at whatever the organization name is. So it's, it's usually pretty easy to get valid names or at some point in time, that naming convention, that user ID was stolen and put on the dark web for sale. So they're just harvesting. They've purchased a mail, like a mailing list, you know, like the marketers do. They purchase a mailing list. They purchase an email list and they start going at it. Um, and, you know, the unfortunate thing 
they are getting so sophisticated these days that it's really hard to know what's legitimate and what isn't. Uh, If you think of elderly people, this is why I am so adamant that people have to train their employees and then those employees really need to train their family members because think of your grandparents. Uh, you know, they they get, oh, I've just been given a Amazon gift card or, oh, yes, I will respond to the guy in Nigeria. He just needs $50 or 500 or whatever the price is. And I get that much back, of course. And there's a lot of people who fall for those scams. So it's really unfortunate. So you, you mentioned um, educating your your team members or your staff. I know that's a big thing. But really, what comprises education? I, 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 I do know there are some companies that actually will send out their own phishing emails to their own employees as a, as a test once they've educated them. But what does education, what is that comprised of typically? Yeah, it, it really is kind of a three-prong approach. So one is what you mentioned. There's companies that will send out you can either hire them to do it or you can actually purchase the software yourself and they will send out those phishing emails to their employees. When they do it, they typically start and it's like really obvious that it's a phishing email and then it will get harder and harder to to detect. And so, uh, you know, employees typically, the, the companies that sell the software encourage you to be encouraging to your employees and not like whack your employees or or penalize them in some way. But what I've seen be effective is having contests between locations or divisions or departments to see who can get the lowest score, meaning the lowest click-through rates, right? So if you do click through, you typically get a link to some uh, explanation of why this was a phishing email and point out the things that you need to look at to to uh, try to avoid it in the future. So there's that. But as I was saying earlier, those emails are getting so sophisticated that it's hard to detect. So there's a couple things you have to think about. And that's if somebody does detect it, um, do they know what to do with that if it comes in their inbox? So I was just talking with a friend of mine and she's at a corporate level. She's a very intelligent woman. She just got the recent email and I've gotten it too, where they're sending you a fax and it's an attachment. And of course, if you open the attachment, then it's probably going to download some sort of ransomware. So she knew enough not to click on it, but she didn't know what she was supposed to do about it or with it. So she, again, knew enough to contact their IT department, but they had actually put an email address in place that she should have just forwarded it to this email. But the organization hadn't done a good enough job of educating not just their end users, but even their executives to know what to do if they get some sort of suspicious email, right? So some organizations have hired an outside firm and that outside firm has software that does a pretty good job of scanning the email to filter it out to begin with. But of course, all these new threats are coming through. So they desperately want you to 
forward it to this email address to have it be logged as a new concern. Uh, and sometimes they even add a button, a plugin into something like Outlook to be able to forward it directly to this place or to IT. All right, but even if I am super diligent and I and I, I have the best trained employees in the world, that still is only part of the equation here because the, uh, what is to stop? I mean, I'm guilty as anybody else, guilty as charged. I will sometimes be at a coffee shop or in an airport or wherever like that I might be in a public area is the point. And I guess you kind of forget and you drop your guard and you connect to the Wi-Fi offered by the airline, for example. Now, now, now I'm attached. So now I'm sending out, even though I'm diligent about the emails, which one I'm going to click on, my emails, you tell me, are my emails secure? Is my browsing history secure? How do I combat against that? Right. Uh, the answer is no, they're not secure. Um, you're connected to a public network and that public network is not encrypted. So the thing you have to do is make sure that you are connecting using a VPN. So I, I know this occurs because I had a client one time and he was one of these very curious individuals, let's say, and bought a remote antenna just to see if he could read the traffic outside of a well-known coffee shop. And the answer was yes, he could. So as you say, you let the guard down. I know that I've connected to a hotel uh, Wi-Fi before in all of my travels without connecting to my VPN right away. But that's one of the things that people look for. They'll sit there, people. They are people, but they're less than optimal people. We'll sit there and try to look for unsecured connections and then read your traffic. Now, this individual that I talked about earlier, he did it for his jollies just to see if he could. There are people that literally will do this looking for unencrypted credentials and other things going by. So the message is you need a VPN so that you can connect securely. So that's another thing that employers should be educating their employees about is to make sure, and especially in this work from home, you know, remote work, a lot of people get bored with staring at the four walls of their office. I don't know about you, Charlie, but I'm kind of getting tired of these green walls uh, surrounding me right now. Um, and I might work part of the day at Starbucks. And, you know, if I go there and connect to the internet, then I need to be using a VPN to make sure my connections are secure. And people need to know that. And that explains why before you can connect in many of these public areas, you have to accept their terms and who reads the terms. You just go right to the bottom, click the box, and, exactly. and now you're online. Exactly. Yes, for so, all to see. And when you mentioned uh, people can read your emails, what about my attachments? Those are equally at, uh, at risk? Sure. Yeah. Um, they may be able to intercept those email addresses. Uh, and actually what they're really trying to do is be able to hack back into your email box. So, you know, most Outlook for sure does. Uh, most email clients have a web version, right? It's not just the one on your phone or your PC. They have a web version of that email client. And so if they can get your user ID and password, they will often then come in through your web browser or web client 
and start inserting themselves into uh, your email. So one of the things that they will do is put a routing entry, a rule in place to route all your email to somebody else. And it's not like it's rerouted out of your inbox. It's also routed to them. So that's a form of something called business email compromise. You'll see the uh, acronym called BEC. And that is a huge, again, business for hackers because they will typically target somebody like in finance. And if they can find those people, they'll look at email conversations that go by. And this is especially prevalent right as people were starting to work from home when the pandemic hit because processes changed, everything was different. So people were used to having changes in their processes. So a lot of times they would insert themselves in like an accounts payable type situation. And they, at just the time that a payment was due, they would send a new invoice looking very much like a previous invoice, but they would have a new routing number or a new account number. And they'll say, hey, we've had to change things due to the pandemic. So make your payment to this number instead of the old one. And a lot of people just didn't think twice about it. That's again, one of those um, education things, right? You, you must question all changes like this. Hmm. Listen, even with the, the best attempts and even with the highest degree of due diligence, you, you know, hacks occur, obviously. So, you know, yes. and, you know, to, even to the most, you know, the smartest people that we know. Yep. So there has to be some additional methods to, to recover from this. And I know one thing I was reading about recently is cyber insurance. Right. And, and there is, so there are some facilities to help you recover either recover your lost data or if you get hacked, for example, and now you're paying in Bitcoin or whatever, or ransom, right. or whatever. So how, so is cyber insurance, is that something that, that is discussed that, that you've, do you find yourself discussing that more with customers now as a, as, as an, as important as let's say fire and theft insurance? Right. Um, usually I am discussing that in the context of being prepared. So first of all, there are a shocking number of people who think that nothing's going to happen to them and they don't do anything to prepare themselves ahead of time. So they don't have any kind of instant planning or uh, if this happens, these are the people we call. These are the first things we do. These are the first servers we shut down. So the first thing is that you have to have planning. And one of those things when you're doing planning is to figure out if you are going to purchase cyber insurance or not. And the problem with cyber insurance is getting better, but it's still actually kind of a new thing. So if you are trying to get insurance for your car, for example, you can go to five different insurance companies and you can compare the coverage from all five of those. And you're comparing apples to apples. Cyber insurance, and again, it's getting better, but it's hard to compare insurance policies. Um, so you have to really examine what you're going to get out of that cyber insurance. Like some of them will require their forensic team to be the one that investigates 
the incident, for example, or, you know, you will have to use their legal team or you have to use their tools or they will provide it as long as you purchase their software that will supposedly prevent it in the first place. So there's, it, it's really hard to compare what you're going to get. I also have read fairly recently because there have been so many attacks and so much uh, ransomware out there that one of the companies out of Europe is, is starting to refuse to pay the ransom. So if that becomes a trend, that will be interesting to see what happens. I mean, it was in the context of trying to stop um, the hackers from, from doing ransom, from inserting ransomware into somebody, somebody's organization, because if the cyber insurance isn't going to pay, then is the company going to pay? And maybe they won't get paid, so maybe they'll go find something else to do. But yeah, that whole Bitcoin, you know, again, part of the discussion of being prepared is if we get hacked and our data gets encrypted, are we going to pay the ransom? That's a discussion that should be had before you get hacked, not after the fact. And it only takes one employee in your entire network to introduce this malware to to lock down the entire company. Absolutely. There was a hospital that got shut down because an employee was on vacation and read an email on her personal account from her personal email account on her work laptop and opened an attachment ransomware encrypt her laptop. And because she was connected, it went through the entire organization and shut down a hospital. You know, this conversation is making me more afraid even to open up any computer any day of the week. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so scary. So, but that brings up, I mean, I mean, that's the joke, but there's an interesting um, discussion point here. And that is, you know, it's, it's trying to find that balance, whatever it happens to be. I'm sure this is something you have to deal with every single day. How many obstacles do you want to put in front of any one user to keep them in a secure silo, you know, be it the MFA, you know, multi-factor authentication or whatever else, you know, whatever tools you have at your disposal to do that. But you also need to have them at some point do their job. And this is something you must wrestle with, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the security purists will not allow any kind of risk, but I work with people every day, real people, and there's varying skill levels and there's very varying tolerances to what employees will tolerate. So from a security perspective. So yes, it's that how many layers of defense do you put in place? And so a lot of people are starting to use multi-factor authentication. I think that that's a great layer of defense to put in place. Because if an organization's user IDs and passwords are stolen and then they are hacked back, uh, if that additional factor that you have to provide uh, is there, then the stolen credentials aren't as uh, valuable to that thief, right? Because if just because I have the user ID and password, I wouldn't have my RSA token or my Okta token that I can enter. So stolen credentials are thwarted with multi-factor authentication. 
you know, it's interesting, Carol. I just while you uh, began speaking to respond to my last question, I just had this immediate thought and how I use the word obstacle and you turned it around to say layer of defense, which is really quite interesting to me. <laughs> it, it, so it, it just it's a clear indication of the, of the how the perspective of this, depending on which side of the, the you know, you're trying to keep the company secure versus, you know, preventing from doing my job. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting, um, interesting I, well, I know many and, users will call obstacles, call them obstacles. Right. And most people, and I mean, okay, let's be real, Charlie, you're more in the developer programmer world, right? Yes. It's a rare programmer that considers security as a benefit, right? It's usually that that security is something to be tolerated at best and usually makes it so they can't do their job in their eyes. So uh, again, depending on the user group that I'm working with, be it somebody in the security team or system administration, or if I'm working with the programmers, I have to, I have to approach my recommendations in a way that will be most readily accepted by whatever team I'm working with at the time. To any level of scrutiny. To any level of scrutiny. You know, and with the with the programmers, I I really have to help them understand that it's nothing personal. It's not that the company doesn't trust them. It's that these are there to protect the organization at large, not to try to make their life miserable, even though I understand that the perception is that it's making their life miserable. And frankly, if, if given that given that. Uh, discussion point right there. It also bolsters their um, their defensible position, doesn't it? Yes. So that yep. that look at look from that from that view, it, it has uh, a lot of merit. Yes. So a lot of times things have to be put in place from a regulatory perspective, depending on you know whether they're in healthcare or finance or you know that type of thing, what type of data they're dealing with, if it's the PII, the uh, personally identifiable information, there's regulations surrounding that type of information. So you can then deflect it and say, look, this is, uh, we have to abide by the laws or the regulations with that data. We have no choice. Again, it's not personal. Um, so you, you have to help people understand why. I, I have had the most success when I can help people understand the why of why we're implementing something versus just doing it randomly because a lot of people, quite frankly, take extra steps from a security perspective as uh, a personal affront. It's like, I've worked here 20 years. I would never do anything. It's like, understand, but if your user ID and password is stolen, getting back to the MFA, you know, it they can use it to break into the system and get access. So we're going to put this other factor in place that they won't have, you will have it, and, and that will protect our systems. Has nothing to do with the fact that we trust you or don't trust you. Yeah, the last word you want to hear, and any any bank of developers or any group of developers is the word oops <laughs> right. exactly when you exactly. hear that term it doesn't generally end well no right <laughs> so you mentioned or I, I should say i mentioned i introduced you as um, helping companies secure 
you know, one step at a time. And let's talk about that. So we have planning, security planning. Now, surely in all your years of doing this, you, you've entered some companies that have uh, no plan, zero plan in place, nothing in place to, I guess, some, some that have uh, very sophisticated plans in place and everything in between. Right. If I'm one of those companies who seemingly has nothing in place, where do I start? I mean, I, I fully support the notion that any plan is better than no plan, but I think you need to qualify that because a bad plan may be worse than no plan, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, so give me some of the, the, the real low-hanging fruit here. What's like the first thing, the most obvious thing, like, oh my gosh, you don't even have this in place. And what might, what might that be? Right. One of them is that plan, right? I mean, e- Right after John Vanderwall and I started DXR Security, somebody found me on LinkedIn and they were in a panic and they even found my phone number somehow. And they left me a voicemail and they said, Ms. Woodbury, we've just been hacked. Our systems are all encrypted and I just don't know who to call. I don't know what to do. I mean, they were literally clueless and they were reaching out to whomever they could find <laughs> to, to try to help them. And with each so, passing hour, by the way, it was getting more dire with right. each passing hour. Right. So you really need to acknowledge that it could happen to you and, and have that plan in place first Do, and, and analyze things. Do you have the backups? Right. So start with the plan. And then anything you do is going to make things better. Like get rid of old profiles people that no longer work with the organization. And again, this is not just IBM I, this is Windows, this is Firewall, this is any user account that's out there. There's a story at least once a month, if not longer, of people that have been let go, that hack back into the organizations. There was one just last week where they hacked back in and deleted terabytes of data. So, you know, that's an easy one to get get started with. It, and it doesn't affect any end users, right? It, you may be afraid of affecting your end users. Well, getting rid of profiles that no longer exist isn't going to bother anybody. They're not there anymore. So that's one thing. Then you could start making people change their passwords on a regular basis. And again, this that one will affect your end users. And you might have to explain to them why they're doing this why you're requiring it, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't require password changes. And in this day and age, so there's this thing called credential stuffing where somebody will, a hacker will purchase passwords, user IDs and passwords on the deep web, and then try to use that combination someplace else. So again, you probably, if you're not requiring password changes, you probably have a really easy uh, naming convention for your user IDs. So you get a user ID and you get a password and, and you cha- try that password com- combination. And likely they'll get in someplace because somebody has used that same password everywhere they log into. Oh, so my IBMI user credentials might be at, at my bank. Is what you're yes. saying. Okay, got it. And Yahoo and Netflix and uh, Target, you know, everywhere. And I've seen that happen even in my own family. I've had to chastise my niece 
do not use the same user ID at the same, you know, your bank as you do Target, as you do Whole Foods and whatever. So they really need to be separate. So a password so, manager yeah. right there may or may not be, I mean, so because the user ID is more often than not your email address. Exactly. Exactly. So I use the same email address, but I make vastly different um, passwords anywhere I log into. So I have a password vault on my phone that I use, right? And it may not even be the most clever password for every place, but as long as it's different than anything else that I've used, the only danger is going to, they're going to be able to hack into that one account. And if it's Wayfair, who cares? I mean, I'd know if I got something ordered from Wayfair, but I'm not going to make that same password strength. Like my bank uh, password is much longer. Or passphrase. Or passphrase. And it is a passphrase. So. Right. Yeah. There's so much, I mean, <laughs> you know, security, you read every year. I mean, I, I mean, I see, I see the, I see the subjects every single year, the surveys every single year. And security is always, always, and I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what platform you're on. Security is always, you know, paramount. It's, it's the most important thing to everybody. And if it's not, it should be, certainly. Yes. yes. I mean, technology, sure, we care about technology. And I, I mean, I love technology, of course, but you, you can never not have the security conversation because it's well, as you said, I mean, there's so many different ways that we can get into that data, either, either deliberately or inadvertently. Yes. Well, part of the problem is if somebody hasn't secured their data and everybody has access to it, the accidental errors can occur. You know, one thing that people don't think of from a good security scheme is the prevention of accidental errors. So, you know, if everybody is running as root or admin or an IBM QSEC offer authority, then they have access to everything on the system. It makes their life easy, they think, until they delete something that they didn't mean to delete or they updated something, oops, that was the wrong file, right? And so if you can segment that and really give people appropriate authority for their job responsibilities, it really helps the accidental errors not occur. So everything we've spoken about, Carol, is is good advice for anybody, any platform, any time. It seems we 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 barely yes. we we barely got into the IBMI specific conversation here, but we didn't really need to because what you're what you're saying here is, I mean, common sense, I guess. But you've you've given us really so many nuggets for people to to listen to and and to consider when they're looking at a security plan or or amending what they already have in place or updating it, whatever the case happens to be. True. Agreed. Just a lot of common sense and just wanting to acknowledge that their data is worth something. Right. And if their data is worth something, I mean, they have that data for a reason and they're running their business off that data. They're making business decisions off that data or they're servicing their clients based on that data or they're running a manufacturing line or pricing or inventory controls off this data. And if you're going to run your business off that data, then it's worth protecting it. Otherwise, why do you have that data? But then you hear the flippant, uh, the flippant uh, attitude sometimes, well, 
what can somebody possibly do with my with my data? Well, I mean, again, I, I say this all the time. I'm sure there are several competitors who would love to get their hands on <laughs> some of your data tables. Exactly. Sure. But then you circle back around and, and say, okay, then uh, are you not running your business off that data? So it's valuable to you. So then what happens if you have a ransomware attack and your data isn't available to you? okay, the hacker may not have wanted it, or if they downloaded the data before they uh, encrypted it, they might look at it and go, eh, I don't care about that. But you do. So, you know, your business, uh, your data, if it's not important to somebody else, it's sure important to your business. And so it's worth protecting. And it's got value for sure. And it has value. Right. Carol, I think we're going to leave it there. what can I say? I think we've probably barely have scratched the surface here. Probably so. Right. <laughs> but already, as I said, you know, I, I, while you've been speaking here, I've been making some notes and it's just, it's just fascinating stuff. It really is, truly is. And, you know, just protect, you know, be, let's be all careful out there. Let's be careful out there. So they say, right. Exactly. It's, just, it's a lot. Yes. <laughs> this has been great. Carol, I would like, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, you are a truly a wealth of information, wealth of knowledge on this topic. And um, I think everybody will get some real value out of this discussion that we've had here. So thank you very much for your time today. It's always a pleasure to, to speak with you and hope to see you at some point down the road, of course, maybe uh, at some conference. I hope that they does come at some point in our lives. Who knows? Oh, you and me both. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's truly my pleasure. Thank you, Carol. Well, this wraps up this month's podcast. Thank you, everybody, for for listening, joining us and listening in. Be sure to check out other offerings by Tech Channel. You'll see a lot of other interesting podcasts out there, webinars, and a lot of good content. So it's worth your while exploring. Until next time, thanks, everybody, for joining. See See you soon. Bye now.